Welcome to the Oxley Bomb MotoGP podcast. everyone uh welcome back to the oxley bomb MotoGP podcast with me matt oxley old racer old journalist and my podcast partner peter bomb over 20 years in the MotoGP paddock technician data recording expert and part-time journalist at the moment okay now oh my god do we have an episode in store for you today we have with us uh, none other than king kenny roberts the king the one and only king he's the only guy that gets to call himself king <laughs> hi kenny how you doing good Excellent, excellent. Right, well, um, I'm going to start this uh, podcast off by blowing some smoke up Kenny's ass, although I haven't really warned him that I was going to do this. But, um, you know, just to give everybody, I don't know how old you are listening, you know, you might be young, you might be old, but if you're young, you may not know how cool Kenny is. So what's what? that's what I want to <laughs> tell everybody, what, how, what he's done f- for racing, you know. So, I mean, you know that old, old question, who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest racer of all time? You know, well, as a motorcycle racer, Kenny is right up there with the best of Mark Marquez, Valentino Rossi, Mike Halewood, Wayne Rainey, Mick Doohan, and so on. But, and there's no doubt about that, but there is literally no other motorcycle racer who has done as much for motorcycle racing as King Kenny. No one. So, and to tell you exactly what he's done, I'm going to run through real quick what he's done. So he started off winning three US Grand National titles in the 70s, which combined road Two. racing, dirt track, and so on. I thought it was three. Quit thinking. Oh, Kenny, you're, dis- <laughs> you're disappointing us already. I'm going to have to change. <laughs> then he came to Europe, won the MotoGP or 500cc title, if you prefer, at his first attempt and went on to make it a hat trick. At the same time, he revolutionized Grand Prix racing. He was the first rider to f- slide the rear tire to make the motorcycle turn better and the first rider to really grind his knee through the turns. But more important than that, he led the fight for riders' rights at a time when riders were treated like circus animals by the promoters and too many of them were dying. So, what Kenny did was he fought like hell to improve safety, number one, but also the money that people were earning and so on. And and what he did led, led to the fa- led the foundations to to what Mike Trimby did to make MotoGP as safe as it is now. When he retired, he had his own GP team, which won another four world titles with Wayne Rainey and John Kaczynski using factory Yamahas. And he was way ahead on technology at this time. He was the first team to use data logging seriously, the first to use carbon brakes and so on. And then in early 1990s, when the 500 class was on its ass, Kenny convinced Yamaha to sell YZR 500 engines to privateers. And that basically saved the 500 class. Otherwise, it was close to dead. It was great at the front, but there were only about 10 riders, you know, on decent bike. And uh, Kenny eventually got, he was so into technology that he got bored of racing what he called sticker bikes. I, Yamaha, he got the bikes from Yamaha, put Marlboro stickers on them and went racing. So he built his own 500, a 500 triple two stroke. And then when, um, from the crankshaft up, that's not just chassis, the whole engine. And, and when, uh, and that was the last two stroke to score a pole position in MotoGP. And when MotoGP went four stroke, he built his own four stroke from the crankshaft up. Team Roberts finally packed in about 15 years ago when it ran out of money. And the thing is that Kenny's impact is still felt because where do Mark Marquez and all the VR46 riders train? They train on dirt tracks. And the guy that brought that to Europe was Kenny. So, I mean, you know, he's, you, you see his legacy whenever these guys go out to race, you know, because what he taught them to do uh, is still there. So that's pretty amazing. So sorry about that, Kenny. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be really nasty now. No, we're not. So, I mean, you were always, you always say that you were more of a dirt tracker than a road racer. So what, what is so special about dirt track as a whole and how it teaches you different skills and that kind of stuff? He would start out with that. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. I think that the dirt track is, uh, is a lot of variables that, that, that you have to think about the track condition. It's always changing. Um, and, and it's the funnest form. It, it's, there's nothing like going down the straightaway at 130 mile an hour and pitching it sideways. There's just, you know, road racing. I mean, it, you don't get to do that in road racing very often. And when you do, you don't really recover very often, but it's, it, it's just the feel of a dirt tracker, especially on a mile is, uh, is just, a, as a motorcycle rider or racer, uh, there's not much that can come close to that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and to do would a you lap st- after lap after lap is uh, as the tracks can change, like the it, the Indy Mile, I just kept pushing the dirt up, pushing the dirt up till I had a berm. 
Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then, then I could get some grip. But I mean, it's, it's things like that, that, that most normal people would never, I don't know, I, I don't think they'd ever know. Sure, sure. And I mean, it's kind of special for teaching people as well, isn't it? Because you can, it's so quite hard to learn to slide the front tire on a, on a, on a road race bike, but probably much easier to learn to slide it on a dirt bike, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got less grip, so it's kind of easier to play with, is it? Would you say that? Well, yeah, everything has, uh, everything has a limit on grip, depending on the lean angle of the motorcycle. So uh, the dirt track is a way to not only feel that sensation or, or to make it work for your benefit, it's a lot safer to do it on a dirt track and you can do it i mean i used to we before we'd even eat breakfast we'd be riding a mini bike you know so it it it's just something that it's number one it's fun to do number two you can do it all day long and uh number three it it, it, it there's nothing that that can hurt you it's 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 just learning 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 uh m- muscle memory you know you name it it yeah it's it's how to point the motorcycle make it do what you wanted to do whether the motorcycle wants to do that or not yeah nicely and it, it's just a safer way to do it once you start to understand the the basic theory of of making the motorcycle go sideways at a point where you don't have to uh turn anymore is uh it's just something that that's a lot easily done on dirt and then you, you got to transfer that to road race and of course it's more complicated it's more grip but the same theory is there it's two wheels they have forks and shocks and they have tires and, and it's just whoever can manage all them things uh you know it, it's just unique that that well, I, I, it's unique that not a lot of them figured it out i mean there was races at well, Petrosa comes to mind. Oh, we we don't have to slide like that anymore. And I go, really? <laughs> I mean, it it's 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 theories come and go, but uh, I think to learn how to ride a dirt track or knowing how to ride a dirt track faster than anybody else will carry over and make you a better road racer. Sure, sure, sure. And um, last year it was the 50th anniversary of you winning your first U.S. Grand National Championship. I guess you were 21 then, right? I mean, that's that sounds about right because mm. you're 72 yeah. now, that, if, if my maths is right. And I mean, you know, obviously an amazing season when it was your first sort of breakthrough season. But <laughs> there's a kind of a couple of tales from that season as well, isn't there? Like the kind of You kind of bashed your body up quite a bit that year. That was the year you... Um, you shot yourself in the leg, I think, and uh, and 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 you also lost a testicle, didn't you? Yes. Well, I lost my ball. Yeah. <laughs> then I tried to shoot the other. One. Luckily, I, sh- I missed. <laughs> I should be, shouldn't be laughing, but can you tell us the story of um, you were doing a motocross race or something? Yeah, that I didn't want to do, but I was <laughs> talked into it by my earliest sponsor, A and A Manufacturing, and my bike broke. We were cow trailing. My bike broke, and he said, "Oh, let's go San Jose and do the, and I'll ride with you. It's a two-hour race, and I'll be your partner." And I was like, no, no, no. Well, I, finally he said, yeah, yeah, let's go. He rode for probably five minutes of the two hours. And uh, as he pulled in for the first gas stop, he said, and I got off and he got on. He said, don't take your helmet off. So so I basically did the marathon and lapping one of the riders ran into me and we tangled up. And, and I felt it hurting at that time. I should have just, I don't even know where the trophy went. I didn't even get a trophy. So uh, I won the race, but uh, I was driving home and I went, man, something's wrong. And uh, literally crawled into the house, woke up in the hospital with a guy removing the needle of Novocaine. And uh, I said, man, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> he said, it ain't over. <laughs> and that basically said, well, I've got to go to Daytona and race a motorcycle. He says, well, no, you don't. I said, yeah, I do. That's what I do. No, no, you don't. Not not this. <laughs> no, you don't. Anyway, long story short, of course, I didn't do what he told me to do and uh, ended up going to Daytona. And uh, Yamaha said, well, we'll get a doctor and he'll check you out. And if he says it's okay, you can race. And I said, I'm racing, basically. So the doctor come, and I had to pull my pants down. This is really good because there was no garages in them days. Uh, this was fun. Pulling my pants out and having this guy inspect my testicles, or the, the <laughs> one that looked like an orange. Um, and he said, not only should he not ride a motorcycle, he should go to the hospital and get a, uh, I'm sure that's infected. He needs to get a drip. And uh, I said, no, I'm racing anyway. Long story short, I, I couldn't lean off. And I that's when I... Through that winter, I wanted to lean off the motorcycle. I wanted to drag my knee, or not drag my knee. I didn't know anything about that at that time. But I wanted to lean off the motorcycle, and I 
couldn't because my ball was, I had a cutout about four inches deep for my ball to sit in. And if that hit anything, um, my eyes would shut. So it was kind of a, it was a weird race. I was actually leading the race, uh, but I couldn't lean off. And the back tire went flat. So I pulled in and Kel Carruthers threw a tire on. It was a, a Goodyear. And that, at, at that time, the Goodyear slicks would chatter. So we were using Dunlap for the race. And he threw that slick in and it chattered really bad around the right hander. And I couldn't see because my, my testicle was bouncing up and down. And, and I, I did two laps and I pulled in. And I said, why did you send me back out there? And I just waddled away. I couldn't walk at that time, but I waddled away and that was it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in, 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 in a bit of discomfort. So just thinking about that. And, and, and you, I, I believe you've still got the bullet in you from, um, from when you shot yourself, which was, I think you were loading a gun or polishing a gun, weren't you? And it, and it went off or something? No, I was carrying a, a pistol out to the truck at my ranch and my brother had used the gun and it, it was loaded and I didn't know it slipped off the holster and hit the ground with a hammer and shot me. Ah. So <laughs> they, we had an airplane at that time, a little bitty airplane, and we, they flew me to the hospital. And the doctor came in, he looked at it and looked, took an x-ray and then I thought, well, I hope I'll be able to race again. <laughs> And so, so the guy says, comes in and he, he takes a Band-Aid, puts a Band-Aid on the hole and goes, okay, you can go home. And I went, well, no, you can tell me. I mean, how bad is it? He goes, that's not bad. You can go home. I go, no, no, I, no, I can't. I can walk? He goes, I think so. <laughs> he was from Vietnam. So he was a doctor in Vietnam. He said, don't worry, the bullet is in your muscle up by your hip. Unless it starts moving around, it's fine. So it's still there. <laughs> Does it beep when you go through airport security? No, because it's lead. It okay. makes up for my missing uh, testicle. <laughs> So you're perfectly balanced now. Yeah, I'm I think, perfectly balanced. I think Peter's got a question he wants to ask. <laughs> yeah, well, well, first I want to check if my memory is correct, Kenny. One of the first time I came to the Dutch team, I, said, I think it was really the first time in my life, I saw the 250 race starting. There was this guy from America on a yellow Yamaha, which already blew my mind because Yamahas were supposed to be white. And he was apparently a bit special. But after the first lap, he came past dead last and he finished fifth. Was that really you? Is my memory correct? Was that Asen? Yeah, I'm a Dutchie. Uh, yeah, I was last, dead last. And the first lap I came around the start-finish line, I was fourth. Yeah. The next lap, I was first. So <laughs> oh, that's even stronger. That was an interesting lap. <laughs> the laps were long at that time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I used intermediate tires. Goodyear, I had to cut them myself because they didn't have an intermediate. And I just ha happened to pick the right two tires, I guess. And so everybody else had rain tires on. And Asin, Kel kept saying, Asin's good grip, good grip. Yeah. So I... I didn't have rain tires at that time for the 250. So I, I cut some slicks and away we went. Okay, so even even more impressive. Fast forward 30 years as a, as a data engineer, I usually can see in a rider's data at the moment and for the last 10 years, if he was brought up riding two strokes, because these riders are more aware of the influence of how to use, how to quickly build up the brake pressure, while also having a better feeling for where they are in the RPM range. Now, can you career crushed four strokes and two strokes? You even raced both yourself on dirt track and asphalt which do you prefer two stroke four stroke and do you recognize what i what i said that i well, the four strokes in my opinion the four strokes uh an e easier animal to ride the two strokes in that era were were a little pipey and so once you got over that and and you could use it to your advantage it was it was okay but it, it was it could catch you out the four strokes are a little bit tamer but heavier so if i was going to race a motorcycle that would be fun you could probably four stroke would probably be funner than a two stroke because you have the torque, break it loose and ride it the way you want to ride it. The two strokes are a little bit more technique involved. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, to, to go out right now and ride one, the four stroke would definitely be the one to ride. Two strokes are a little bit more complicated. Yeah, I guess that it's kind of like you're riding a razor edge, isn't it? With a two stroke, you kind of, you're just, you're, you're one, you're one, you're half a degree throttle opening away from disaster, aren't you? 10% of the throttle on the two stroke is, uh, is a lot. And so, you know, I mean, there was racetracks where you weren't wide open very often. Be, simply because of that fact. You didn't have to run them all the way to to their RPM limit to, to make them run, to, to make them go. I mean, you could wheelie over 150 mile an hour with just 10% of the throttle if you wanted to. So, yeah, the two-stroke is, uh, and depends on what era. You know, they got better and better and better until they, you know, no longer exist. So if I was going to make a motorcycle today for fun, it would be a two-stroke. Ah, for fun, a two-stroke. And, um, I mean, when you, when you first turned up in Europe full-time in 1978, I mean, I know you 
you didn't really want to come here. You wanted to stay home and do dirt track, didn't you? But but Yamaha kind of pulled out a dirt track back in the States, so you kind of had to come over to Europe. And I, you were kind of pretty shocked uh, at the way Grand Prix riders got treated, weren't you? I mean, did that hit you kind of instantly? Well, it did, isn't it? Because they nearly didn't start let you start at the first race, didn't they? So, I mean, you, you must have been just like, what the hell is going on here? Who You know, who are these people treating us like, like animals, basically? Well, I stayed, I wanted to stay in America to beat Harley Davidson. That was a, my, my fun in life. Also, you know, to win the American championship on a on a Japanese bike was the first time and the, almost the last time the Honda came through with, with Ricky and, and Bubba. So until then, there was the only Japanese bike to race against Harley, and that was that was fun. I wanted to do that. When I was going to Europe, I would go to the match races. And although they, there was some controversies about running slicks and all that stuff, it was more or less they did what what normal people do. They say hi, they they uh, talk to you and help you. Uh, then I and, and they paid you a lot of money. Uh, Imola was the first one that paid me quite a bit of money. Uh, race of the years and stuff like that, you could make, make good money. And they treated you like a human being. When I got the 500 or Grand Prix, I couldn't believe what a bunch of assholes running tell you the truth i just like i remember spain was my second race although they did want to give me a start and i missed the first practice on the 500 i said this this corner you could die on this corner right here there was a kind of a double right hander and then there was a quick left and there was no hay bales on the guardrail but the quick left is the one that you're going to lose the front and so I, there was some people running around the racetrack, and I said, we need to put hay bills over here. And they said, no, we don't have time to do that. Race is tomorrow. Okay, so I started picking up hay bills and <laughs> on a spot that we didn't need them to a spot that we did need them. And all that, of course, the photographer there and the, and the little Spanish guy, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. I said, well, that's too bad. Unless we're going to have a fight right here, it's going to happen. And so one of them said, don't I read where you like to race in America. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, why don't you go back there? <laughs> And so that was my uh, first Grand Prix in Europe. And it got worse. It got worse. I remember you had to go in and kiss their ass to get a start, or I guess I, I didn't. I didn't know the, the systems in Europe. Uh, Kel did. Oh, you got to go you do this. And it's like, it, it was just stupid. And so I went into the Belgium, I guess they call him clerk of the course or, or the guy to negotiate with. And he said, uh, I'm going to give you 30% more than the medium minimum. It's like, really? Holy shit. I'm taking my family to mcdonald's and i remember him saying what you do not appreciate this and i said i said no i do thank you very much it's wonderful but i don't need your money you can keep it it was about 800 bucks so i just and and oh god it was a fight from i shouldn't have said it because it was then there's an argument going back and forth for a while and i just finally said well keep your money i don't need it but you want to pay me good if you don't and I actually said on the starting line at that race, probably one of the only times I did, because the bike didn't run in practice. I had no laps around the racetrack. Actually, I qualified Johnny Cicado's bike with Michelin's on it, and I never rode a Michelin before. So I only had, I had two laps that I could ride it. And uh, it's raining, and it was the old spa. And I, and I thought, I, I could die today. I could die. Because the racetrack had grooves in it from tire wear, and the puddles were in the tire grooves. So to go from point A which is racing to point B, you couldn't because of the tire grooves. Um, it, and that's the only time I think I ever said I could die right here. Why are we here? What are we doing here? When I, when I knew there was good racetracks all over. So yeah, yeah that was, uh, nobody knows, uh, no rider now knows anything about it, any of that, nothing. Yeah, I watched, funnily enough, I watched um, a Formula One documentary the other day about Jackie Stewart and they had an onboard of the old spa and I think it's the first onboard of the old spa I've ever seen. Oh my Christ. I mean, oh. I mean it's like the Isle of Man, probably worse in fact, I mean, because it looked narrower. So it's basically like having a Grand Prix ra- around the Isle of Man, which of course they did then. But the thing about you that year, which I should tell people who may not know, you were doing the 500cc World Championship you were doing the 250cc world championship and you were also doing the f750 world championship which for for youngins is basically like doing motor gp motor 2 and the world superbike championship you know imagine that and and kenny was doing the 500cc championship not as a factory rider he was an independent independent rider with a factory bike he only had one bike johnny chicotto was the official yamaha guy and halfway through the season when yamaha finally realized that actually kenny was their best bet for the title they they halfway through practice in in spa when as kenny said his bike wasn't running right they, they ripped Chicotto's numbers off his bike and stuck Kenny's numbers on Chicotto's bike. And what didn't he come into the pat into pit lane just he as was you were riding to get out? His bike and I was leaving with it. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. 
<laughs> a bit like a ride. It's, instead of a bike swap, it was more like a rider swap. Perfect. Oh yeah. Um, and and <laughs> and the the the, uh, the the following year, you won the Spanish Grand Prix, and then you, and then you gave them the trophy back, didn't you? Explain to us why, why you gave them the trophy back. <laughs> oh, you know, I just uh, I I just had enough. Um, what one of the things I I I went to the race and and they just to to see what shitty money they were going to pay me but i was world champion so the money was written down in the fim rule book so i go to the i didn't have to negotiate anymore because i already knew what i was going to get paid because no one's going to give you more than that um so i get a letter and the the girl hands me this letter and it says due to the fact that this race doesn't uh make a lot of money we're able to reduce our money and i said, wait a minute why don't you why are you paying me why don't you just write a letter and say sorry we don't make enough money can't pay you and they said well we, we can't do that i said well what's stopping you 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 write one now so you can pay me less i've signed up to do the fim world championship this is what i'm supposed to get and you're saying eh, well we don't make that much so we're not you're not going to get any or enough. And that, that didn't sit well with me. Um, I asked for a diff, uh, another pass because I had a tire engineer from Goodyear come in. Oh, you, you have your passes already. You had three. You're allowed three. And that pissed me off too. So after arguing, 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 they finally give me a, a pass. And I thought, this is bullshit, this stuff. And um, I felt they needed the money. So I won the race. And here come a Deval, who was the president of FIM, handed me the trophy. And I shook his hand and I said, thank you very much. And I said, but you need money. So I give it back to him. And it, he didn't know what I said because he's Spanish and hands it to me again. And I shook his hand. And said, thank you very much. But you need it. You need the money. You melt this thing down and make some money. This second guy in line has got his trophy, and he pushes, well, dickhead out of the way. And uh, again, I, you know, thank you very much, blah, blah, blah. So this went on three times. Three guys had trophy. I had no idea where they went after that. Of course, I think they melted them down. Uh, so I'm walking back to the pits, and Dennis Noyce spoke and worked for the Spanish magazine. He's following me, and he's, and he's trying to ask me all these questions. And I'm waving to the crowd, and he, and I, and he goes, uh... What are you doing? I said, I'm waiting with the crowd. He goes, uh, you know, look, they love me. He goes, uh, I don't think that's love. So they were all giving me two fingers. And I, I, I thought it was a peace sign. I didn't. He goes, if I was you, I'd get in your motorhome and leave. And I was like, I said, well, why are they so pissed off? And he said, because the Spanish announcer said after them giving you, uh, your, you refused the Spanish gifts. And I said, oh, well, I didn't refuse them. I just said, I'm helping them. Anyway, it, they didn't see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened, and it, and it got worse from there. I that's when I started thinking about World Series and putting all that together, how we could do it, because I knew we couldn't do it the regular way, because it had been tried. You couldn't boycott because no one's going to, you know, stay in the in that. You had to come up with something that everyone would agree to do and and make it work. And that was a lot of work. Thanks to Barry Coleman, did most of it. Yeah, big shout out to Barry Coleman, by the way. <laughs> well, he, he, yeah, they, he did a, a, most of the work. Well, he did all the work. I just, I said, here's what we should do. And sure. uh, that's what we did. Wow. But Kenny, apart from your racing capacities, what, the other, the, what strikes me is that besides your racing capacities, you're also very much into the technology, especially later when you had your own team, you know, data, data recording and analyzing carbon brakes, upside down forks, the lots. Probably even the first to run Odin suspension in the GPs. Upside down forks, yeah. Add ups and downs, yeah. So being such a competitive guy, you obviously wanted the best. That's the logic part of it. But reading a couple of things about you, I think you also understood this technology quite well yourself. Probably more than the Everest rider, you understood what was going on beneath you. Is that true? Well, I, I, it's actually a curse. <laughs> um, I tried a lot of different things to either get more grip or, you know, more horsepower or better traction and more turning and all this crap. And, and Dick Mann come to me one day and he says, you know, if you would just ride a, the bike you rode three years ago... <laughs> You would win races. And trying all this stuff, it just, uh, at one one year before I left, the 77, I led every TT and either broke a chain, uh, broke a sprocket, coil fell off. You know, I mean, it just, but I I had to, I had to try all this stuff, which I, looking back on it, had I just rode a standard, I wanted long travel and I wanted all kinds. Yeah, and it's just, it's just part of me that, that 
that's still there. I, I'm building a, a three-cylinder dirt tracker in my garage right now. It's just something that I've done all my life. And uh, like I said, it's a curse sometimes. But I would not have won the world championship the first year out had I not done all this stuff experimenting on the yeah. dirt track. Because it really helped me fix the Yamaha that I could ride it the way I wanted to ride it and, and obviously win. So many things you explained go back to, we are back in dirt track again now. Just you said, you learned so much there. I don't know nothing about dirt track. Well, it's much easier. It's much easier to do the dirt yeah. track frames and, and yeah. traction yeah. and all yeah. that stuff because it wasn't Japanese. They didn't build them. So, you know, we took a street engine and basically bored it out and did all the work to it, blah, blah, blah. But you you were free on chassis. Yeah. And, you know, Yamaha, you got to go there and you got to argue with them about what you want to change. Yeah, and then yeah, they... Yeah, yeah. You know, they put it in their yeah. computer and they spit it, spit it out. But um, it's it's a lot more complicated when you're dealing with with the other people. And uh, probably what drove me to to build my own bikes was the technology. I, I'm still interested in the technology. The thing I see when I see this dirt track, uh, Kenny, is that a couple of things that are really special and probably beneficial is it's a very high intensity of concentration, and every couple of seconds you can repeat what you just tried to do again and again and again. Try to have that feel into that corner look for that grip that's the first thing i think well that's very different because on a normal lap you do 16 corners and then you see the number one again which you try to remember but on dirt tracks like every mm. couple of seconds you, you you can manage your position a little bit different and immediately feel better or worse the other thing i notice is that but when i hear you talking about what you learn dirt track is ah but like big bang engines creating grip uh stiffness of the sashes stiffness of the swing arm to create grip when the bike has banking as angle is a things that are very relevant even today in motor racing very very relevant but you already did that more or less in dirt track that's why you found this little extra grip i guess well make making the bike perform better is one thing making it perform for you it's just stuff that that i was interested in and and i did it. i built my own chassis and raced them in dirt track the little 250 that i brought to europe that was uh Kel Carruthers built me that on my request. I wanted a smaller motorcycle and I wanted the engine. I didn't like all that weight in the front of the motorcycle. I wanted a more neutral weight. And that's just stuff that I learned in dirt yeah. track. If I would not have done dirt track, I probably would not have known that. You know, I would have got on the road race and I didn't like it. It was 70, I think it was around 75. Yamaha came out with their new 250, and I did not like it at all. They moved the engine forward, lengthened up a little bit, and, and went to more RPM. So the bike that Kel built me revved to, to 10,200 RPM. The Yamaha racing kit went to six, uh, 13, and I killed them with something that had 48 horsepower. The Yamaha, the Yamaha had 60 horsepower on the kit. But these are things that you that I learned, and torque was more important than the RPM. So 48 horsepower was more important at 10,000 than, you know, 60 horsepower at 13, yeah. 13.5. So I only had one, one bike. And I, in America, I didn't lose a race on it ever. But I think when that cylinder wore out, we couldn't duplicate it. It was kind of funny. When the cylinder wore out, the bike had to go past 10 two, we had to throw it away wow yeah and uh, at, at that time the kawasaki's figured all that yeah. out too so they could actually have more torque and rev more than i could yeah yeah and, and peter mentioned the big bang engine which obviously revolutionized 500 racing in the kind of early 90s and then everybody in MotoGP now runs big bang or long bang engines you know with the with the engine firing in a certain way to kind of help transmit the power to the asphalt better and, and that actually started in dirt track as well didn't it kenny the um the harley davidson i think people made the twingle which was a, they made the twin into a single didn't they? they made the two cylinders fire together which allowed you to get better traction yeah the the thing on dirt track was a, a lack of flywheel weight was my problem with the yamaha and we we tried everything we tried making a single out of it we tried matter of fact the last one i rode was a 180 instead of a 90 so that means that the piston goes up and down like this and the 90 goes like this so it's just stuff that you learn that that you transferred I never really thought about a big bang on a two-stroke until Honda came out with one. I mean, we never, we really never thought about it. And that's when people started thinking about it. And that was done by an engineer that actually worked for Honda four-stroke. 
I heard, uh, off-road to parachute a car or someplace. He did a big bang. And so they tried it on a two-stroke. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, there's nothing new or different in the world. You know, exactly. It's always been done before. Exactly. exactly. I mean, just, just you just talking then about flywheel weight and on a, on, a, on this podcast, a few podcasts ago, we were talking about, you know, crankshaft inertia and how vital that is to have, especially now that they, you know, the rear tire is everything in, in MotoGP and they're using the rear a lot going into corners now as well as, you know, so rear grip is really important coming, coming into corners and how crankshaft crankshaft inertia affects your engine braking and everything. So that's, you know, nothing ever changes, does it? We're getting a funny noise here. I don't know when anybody else is, but um, somebody's got like some a wind blower behind them or something. Yeah, the wind heater come on. Turn it off, Kenny. <laughs> you live in the desert. It's meant to be hot there. Or is it, is it air con? Kenny's gone to fix his air con. <laughs> I saw a big fan on the ceiling behind this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's his biggest fan, and it's his biggest fan in racing. Kenny's, yeah. So Kenny's doing a bit of domestic. Um, I hope you're enjoying this, guys. He, we've got a bit of echo from Kenny, but we can't fix that now. It, we were so excited when he arrived that we f- forgot to tell him to turn on the echo cancellation. So um, uh, it might sound that like he's in an auditorium a bit when he's when he's speaking. Uh, if he is, then just enjoy him and just imagine that you're in. In an auditorium with him. So interesting, uh, Matt. Now to 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 listen and speak with yeah. Kenny and realize again that, like we just said, nothing is new when everything goes around. You know the the, the, exactly, the set exactly. flex to create grip and the, the inertia stuff and the fact that Kenny's feelings. Exactly. But then he found somebody actually that transforms his feelings. His his gut feeling of this bike's too long or I want to have more weight over the rear. That's probably the most special yeah. thing that I, that I heard Kenny say so far. That he had this feeling inside yeah. him and motivated people, found people to do that and then creating is, is is much better motorbike that's that's fascinating for me to hear because it combines two things first of all sure. he had this feeling not just to try to ride a bike as as fast as it as it could but also while riding thinking well what do i need to go faster actually not many riders make that last step they just can only close the close the throttle later and open early and see what happens sure. thinking on another level while you're riding how another feeling could help you is something i, I never heard many riders uh, <laughs> thinking on that level and kenny exactly. just just exactly. told us and and kenny obviously you were the first team to kind of go with data logging you know which um, becomes more and more important you know it's you started it in the late 80s and now now they're using data logging for to use artificial intelligence to help them with their spike set setups and stuff and and i can remember i was kind of working for you around about that time and um for team roberts uh writing your prop- team propaganda uh making an awful job of it obviously uh, <laughs> um and i can remember you know tom o'kane who's still in the paddock was your first electronics guy wasn't he and, and walking into his truck you know walking up the steps to his truck and you had to go up really gently because um if you ran up the steps too much it would it would disturb the floppy disk in his computer yeah <laughs> so, yeah that I mean, was a, that was the fun days i mean that was when we were really understanding something that you can see on the on the computer where before you just you know you went well it does this and when it opens that it doesn't do that and you're guessing all the time so the onboard computer was like a like a big door opening you know we 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 could actually see what the motorcycle was doing and the rider could translate what it was doing and and, and make a better motorcycle and a better rider the amount of time i spent the amount of time i spent with a team roberts remember we bought our own editing machine so we could run the tapes and practice over and over and over for for wayne most mostly wayne and uh, and mcgee yeah i mean, I mean again helps everybody yeah, again, you were completely first in that with using the video as a kind of, you know, get, I, I can remember you in your bus, in the Team Roberts bus and some little, I wonder, Dorna, it was probably before Dorna would come running in with a video after half an hour after a practice session and you'd, you'd stick it in the machine and you'd start watching it with Wayne and, 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 and everyone just to kind of, you know, learn what he's doing and, and, and also learn from what the other people are doing. And, and, and now they're using that so they're kind of much further ahead. They, most teams have got their own video guy who goes out and videos the bikes and then they overlay one bike over another so they can check on its the position of all the different bikes going into the corners how how much transfer they've got and so on so i mean you know i mean i hate to say it but there's another bloody thing that you started i mean it, it is kind of amazing really and peter's going to ask you about something else now yeah well exactly that video thing because i know a couple of guys that do this for a living in the gp paddock videoing it and then editing it. well if they want an uh, ed- uh, editing machine i have one <laughs> you have one for sale i guess yeah and i have a lot of tapes too left over if they want that but the one thing they tell me now is that riders are 
uh, not all of them are very receptive to it. They they prefer to tell their own story, what they think the, the bike's doing wrong. And if the camera says it differently and shows that you're really the first to turn in and all the other guys stay out longer, uh, they don't really buy that too easy. How was it that you run into that with some of your riders? And one of the riders that intrigues me the most probably is Wayne Rainey. How, how was particularly he in that area? Was he perceptive for it? Was he looking at it and trying to come better? Oh, yeah. Well, Wayne Wayne grew up sort of behind me, watching me my whole career. Yeah. His dad was a, a racer at one time, too. So I think just the way we approached it, you know, we didn't come in and say, you're doing this no. wrong, or we'll set the bike up, you just go away. None, none of that actually would be productive. So it's like, what do you think if we do this? What do you think if we do that? More than it is, here's what the computer says, you're wrong. No, it was never. It was, it was using the computer to help him understand what he needed to do or what the bike needed to do to go around the racetrack better. And so it was never a... Nowadays, I could see it being a problem because in them days, we didn't have an engineer that knew more than, than we did. You know, basically, we were stumbling through it. Now, you probably got engineers that think they know more than the rider. I'm not sure. But we, we never had a problem with that. And and I and I think that I think that if you don't listen to the rider, if you don't debrief the guy, if you don't get everything you can out of him, then you're not you're not doing your yeah. job. You know, you, you can use both. You can use the computer and you can use the rider information, too. I don't think that's ever going to change. But you work with so many riders in your teams. And Rainey probably is an easy example because... From the picture I have from him is like very structured and very solid to work. But I think you even had Norik Abba at some point in your team and guys like that who could be completely different and being more emotional and not trying to think too much or not really understanding you know when they were riding how was that how was that to deal to deal with for you it, easy it, it was easy because uh if you went to abby and said you know what what's going on it's like oh okay everything's okay it's like two seconds forward. <laughs> come on uh, <laughs> excuse me you're a second and a half off the pace it, it, it can't be yeah. good and it's oh no no it's okay okay race okay and and so wayne would never say that wayne would be god God damn it, son of a bitch, it's not fucking tires. And, you know, I remember putting tires in and pulling in. How's that? Shitty. And, then, of course, Pete English, said, well, okay, on the list of 1 to 10, shitty, what is that? Yeah, shitty. So, yeah, it... Uh you you, you you can do both. There's there's plenty of room for to make the rider better, but he's got it like Wayne believed in he could be better. It was like Wayne was like a sponge. Every time you put throw water at him, he just suck it up. And I mean the amount of time we spent on the on the editing machine, listening to the RPM, the gear, the line, uh, just it was uh, Abby was easy. Didn't have to look at the video. If I saw something on a video that I wanted Abby to look at, I would get him and he and he would look at it and say, oh. Okay. Okay. And that that was it. A lot of it was easy. Catalora was easy because he he knew everything. Wayne. I literally took Wayne, and everyone said I was the dumbest son of a bitch in the world for doing it. But I took Wayne, and literally, he was at the start of what I consider, once you reach your peak, I always thought you had about 10 years that you could, could do this job. And that's about time I did it, once I, I reached my peak. And Wayne wasn't at his peak yet, so it was it was getting him to the peak, which took a couple of years. But once he reached that, then it was just easier, but, but still a lot of work. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of work. You, I mean, obviously, Team Roberts worked incredibly hard. I mean, it was you just had it was an incredibly special team. You know, when you had Mike Sinclair and Warren Willing there, and wow, I mean, you know, uh, and, and Rainey riding and so on. It was just um, it was a wonderful thing to see in operation. You know, and but, but you know, one thing I'll say for you guys that you used to party as hard on Sunday nights as as you did work. You know, you balanced. You had a balanced kind of lifestyle. <laughs> you know, you liked if if you won, you liked to go out and have a bit of a time. And and I remember once it was the French GP in 1991. Uh, Wayne won it at Ricard and, and on near Bandols, near the Mediterranean coast, near the beach. And Sunday night, uh, you, you're you out with um, Wayne and his wife, Shay, and, and so on. And I, and I think we stumbled across you in a bar by the beach and uh, and I think we were all getting fairly drunk, and um, and <laughs> you decided to climb up on top of the bar, on top of the on top onto the roof of the bar, and you shinned up the 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 waste pipe going up, and you got up to about the kind of roof level. I think you had a habit of doing this, I think, and 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 then you you fell off, and, and you fell down, and, you, and you, as you fell down, you broke the 
mirror off this kid's scooter and we thought oh shit we're all going to get this shit beaten out of us by all the local kids and then this kid came running over and he was like the happiest guy in the world because his scooter had been broken by kenny roberts he, he was just <laughs> he, he, he probably he's probably still got that mirror sort of on his wall somewhere he probably shaves in it every morning or something but yeah. I, I also remember um uh, well i don't rem- i won a hundred dollars from wayne going up that that chimney pipe though <laughs> there you go it was worth it and uh, I, I i wasn't there but the best story i've heard of your your best sunday night celebration was mizano 1980 so it was kenny start tried to make this world series happen break away from the fim it didn't happen and he went into 1980 still in the fim championships he wasn't particularly happy about that he killed them all in the race and um you got the magnum of champagne and you were enjoying yourself with the magnum of champagne and kel carruthers your team boss your tuner and everything said okay we're, we're going to drive back to the hotel and you jumped on the roof of the car and <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you to take the story from there kenny yeah, the, the the World Series made a few things happen. We didn't have to go kiss anybody's ass to get money because it would turn it into prize money. And they raised the prize money 300%. Just, you know, so, okay, I'll go back and race the World Championship. Everybody agreed that's what we were going to do. The press in England, no matter what, <laughs> just just hated World Series. They hated the idea of, of taking it away from the FIM. I could never understood it, understand it. I can't understand it now. But the thing that, that I, I had to threaten a couple of them with bodily harm, actually, which I don't like to do. I'm a midget, to be honest. Probably couldn't hurt anybody. But it, it was it was ridiculous what they were doing to kill something that would be more professional. I didn't, I don't know if they, you know, I don't know much about it, but I don't know why they did that. So they were all, I went to the hotel on the top of the car. Of course, the Japanese cars had a roof mount for luggage. So, of course, all the spectators were going the same road. It, was, it took us a long time to, to get to the uh, hotel. And I noticed that there were the English press, like three or four of them in the corner eating their dinner. And of course, we came in and pretty well hammered by then. <laughs> and so we, I still had champagne. And so I see these guys in the corner and I said, hey, you guys want some champagne? And of course, they, oh, well, thank you, Kenny. Sure. Mm. I threw this bottle across a, across the room and it hit their table and smashed all over. And the Italians are running around trying to clean this thing up and... and I noticed that they started eating really fast, and and it and then I didn't pay any attention to them for a while. And then I said, "Oh, you got you guys out of champagne?" They go, "No, no, it's okay, thank you. No, no, you need more." Another bottle flies across them, and uh, that's what I enjoyed uh, more than winning the race, probably uh, at that time. Uh, and they, funny enough, they didn't even eat dessert; they just went to their room. <laughs> I, I kind of. Um... I, I was still just a, a fan then, so I wasn't there. But um, I, I would know who it was, and, and, and they're both dead now. God bless their souls. Probably Norrie White. Everybody's dead that watched me race. The beauty. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, Norrie White and John Brown, probably, yeah. who, who were yeah. very pro oh. pro FIM. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So yeah. I can we can we can mention them now because they're that and the guy that ran the i had to run in with a guy that ran the cycle news or whatever it was over there at that time okay i don't i don't know who, but i i believe after that and i only p- pieced this together by speaking to Stuart shenton who's still at motor gp you know now kenny oh, he's yeah. working for yeah. motor 2 team uh Stuart shenton used fa- factory kawasaki engineer factory suzuki engineer factory honda engineer yeah yeah, yeah. i know i know Stuart. and he he told me that uh I, and it must have been that same night. You you were out on the balcony outside the restaurant, and they came up in their hire car to go into town to, you know, get even more drunk, I guess. And uh, you, you, they saw you up there, and they said, "Hey, Kenny, come into t- town with us." Do you remember no. that? Uh, you, well, you don't for a good good because you know what you did. You said you said, "Don't move, I'm coming down," and you jumped off the balcony onto Uh-oh. the roof of the car <laughs> and kind of collapsed the roof of the car. Oh, and they I was just, hoping it's an English just, journalist car. They, no, they just dro- drove into car with you, into, into Mizano uh, town with you on the roof again. I just think that's... The- I remember going somewhere with uh, the Kawasaki people. Yeah, that was it, I think. That was that That would have been it. That would have been it because it was 1980. And I, I mean... Um, yeah, just fantastic stories. I mean, you don't really get stories like this in MotoGP anymore. And I think Peter's, I've, I've been talking long enough. Peter's got a, a question to ask you. Yeah, I've got the boring ones, obviously, because I wasn't there at the time. But I've got a question again for you. I'm not really sure if I remember well, but quite likely you said something later in your career when interviewed uh, Kenny that uh, because he was speaking about you know, dragging your knee and using the rear to turn. I remember, I'm quite sure I remember in the interview you, you were saying there's probably the future is 
guys that can say front-end slides. There's probably a kid now riding around on a minibike practicing this every day, and that's going to that's gonna be the next biggest thing. Do you remember having said something like that? Because now we have guys saving the front. Mark started it all, and now they're all trying it. So in that way, you were like a visionaire. Well, it's a, yeah, it's the only way it can go, because as the grip increases, of course, the lean angle increases also. So the front's going to be the weak point. Yeah. I mean, when, when Bernard designed my, my four-stroke, the last one we made, he was trying to figure out how to make front forks that weren't front forks. And, it's, yeah. and if anybody could have done it at that time, it probably would have been him. But it, it, until they solve the problem, front forks, uh, still the, the front's going to be the problem. Yeah. When you, when you first started seeing Mark Marquez, you know, he came to MotoGP in 2013, and, you know, he was kind of pretty much sliding the front from the word go. And uh, what did you think when you saw that? What did you kind of think of his technique and so on? I mean, He's pretty, pretty, he's pretty well, wild, but wow, he was amazing. Well, I watched him. At, this is when the 800s. No, it was, it was thousands. It was back to thousands. If it was thousand cc, yeah, and it was the era of traction control. Exactly. And it, I watched him. I, I think I only went to a few races, but at uh, one corner at American Grand Prix at Indianapolis, Mark would go in, get the thing sliding, get it to where he pointed to where he should be, which would be going left, and and nobody else could do that. I mean, nobody in his in that race could do what he was doing, which I thought odd. You know, I thought that's odd that they can't figure that out. They can't see what has to happen when the Yamaha would go through there, all front end, and no no rear slide, so he couldn't turn it as sharp, took more effort, and ended up going into the, the right-hander before the start-finish line straight away uh, on the wrong line. And, and they just couldn't do it. No. So they, it, I don't know that they couldn't do it because they didn't know how to do it, or the motorcycle wasn't allowing them to do that. But the only one that did it, the the guy that won the race and he did it every lap yeah. every lap exactly so there's a lot in the front eye but coming back to your career your early years you had some great battles with Barry Sheen uh, Kenny so I know when you arrived in 78 there was a point you used a slick front and he thought that was not the cleverest thing to do so he stayed with a threaded front for a while was that you realizing earlier than him that that's the way forward that's the tie that that's gonna that's gonna help me that's gonna help me do the lap time well I tested slicks and I tested uh, intermediates and there was n- never a comparison on, on grip. So I didn't know nothing about Michelin, obviously. I was Goodyear at the time. And uh, the first race I went to was Caracas, Venezuela. And Barry's, we were friends then, <laughs> before we started killing each, trying to kill each other. And uh, he had a treaded Michelin front tire. He had gas rear suspension with no spring. And he's telling me how great this is. And uh, I'm thinking, you're full of shit, because <laughs> there's no way you can run a shock with just gas. Because I've been through all that with dirt track. Nothing's new. And so I, I thought that that that's not going to work. The front tire, no way that that front tire can keep up with my slick. There isn't, of course, I'd never tested a Michelin front tire. So I, these are just things that were going through my head. We get to the next race. He won. My bike blew up the first lap. That's when I, that's when I found out I wasn't a factory rider. My bike was different. So we, we get to the next race and my bike suddenly got the power valves and stuff that I should have had the, the first race. And I won. And the next race, all that stuff, the gas shocks were gone. There was, uh, uh, all the front tire was gone too, so it was all slicks from then on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I just, you know, you're you're looking at your competitor, and he's telling me all this, and I'm thinking that's bullshit because that can't work. And if it does work, then I I need to rethink that whole thing. So luckily for me, it made me feel a little smarter because of the treaded tire never never went on again. So Barry was obviously a big competition for you. Was he the biggest looking back on your career? Was it was it Freddie or who was actually your your opponent? You thought, you think back from so oh, that's big respect. That was hard. Uh, I I think that that was the funnest competitor that I raced against. We started off really friends and ended up we couldn't wait to I couldn't wait to see what he said about me and he couldn't wait to to read what I said about him and it was that way every week after that and, and it was just for whatever reason and and I suppose there's more than just that he was my my rival yeah. you know it, it it, people oh yeah i remember the sheen and the robert shears they don't remember many years but they do remember that yeah. That's the way they talk about it. That was an era, the Sheen and Robert Steinman. Yeah, it was the it was the we were the right people at the right time. Yeah, exactly. Freddie didn't impress you that much, Freddie Spencer? I yeah, I wasn't a big fan of, I wasn't a real big fan of Freddie, but we didn't it was not like me and Sheen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love beating everybody and and Freddie w- was no different. But it wasn't beating Freddie was not like beating uh, Barry Sheen. Okay. Yeah, that, that says I it would all. fall off to try to beat Barry Sheen. I wouldn't have fallen off to try to beat uh Spencer. Yeah. 
and like you said, you had to in those days. You you spoke to the journalist, and 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 you all went home, and you didn't know what each other had said until Wednesday when the motorbike papers came out. Did you? That's right. You, are you glad you were around then and not around now with all the social media flying around? Well, I'd say, man, yeah, we, we'd be in trouble now <laughs> if we did what we did then, definitely. I was in enough trouble as it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah like everyone's got cameras on Sunday nights and everything, yeah, can you imagine? I, I hate it. At our parties, we would make them check in the uh, the video DVD things or whatever they were, movie cameras in at yeah, the yeah. door. Luckily, a lot of that stuff hadn't gotten out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I went to a few of them. They were pretty crazy. And um, Kenny, you, you're kind of happily retired um, in Arizona at the moment. I, I mean, do you, you do you still watch MotoGP? Do you, I mean, I'm sure you don't get up, and oh, yeah. wake up in the middle of the night to watch it, but you watch it, you record it and watch yes, it. Yes, uh, sometimes I get up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I don't sleep as, as much as I want to, but I'm still very much a, a fan of MotoGP. Uh, I work with a few guys still. You know, a lot of the Japanese, uh, Tatsuki was one of them that trained at my ranch. Uh, most of did so yeah i still i still watch still interested in that and the technology still a little bit but uh tom wilkane comes over and helps me on my my uh bikes here and uh, i catch up on the technical stuff so yeah very much a fan Uh, um, when you watch it now what what do you think what do you think of the racing what do you you know does it entertain you and if or how the right guys are i mean you're very much into how guys ride bikes so i mean what do you see when they're riding what do you see in the bikes and what do you see in the riders the way they ride well i this year has been kind of strange that the that marquez's bike was so bad and and the decisions that 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 team made i i yeah i just i couldn't figure figure it out um i, I mean there was a lot of times when i thought he was like second or third fastest and going out on the last lap to be quick time when he didn't have to be and fall off things like that as a team owner like wayne called me after that one and he said you would have never let me do that and i said well everybody runs a, the deal different you know trying to not be an asshole which is hard for me so yeah i just i'd like to see the technical stuff more than i'd like to see the riders because it's very hard now to to watch the rider and do something different i think marquez was probably the last guy that i saw that that did something different and that's when the honda was working fairly good and now i last year didn't do it at all but it's hard to if you look at the top three guys go through the corner they go through the corner pretty much the same there's not a it's so minute the different now than it was well in, in my sheen era you know because i i entered a, an era where no one dragged their knee and then they started all dragging their knees so things changed a lot and the motorcycles change a lot now it's well to be honest kind of cookie cutter again you know they're all kind of the same and it's just who can who feels good that day or gets up and the moon's just right or whatever uh so it's that they've kind of lost a little bit of that but they have a whole new audience now anyway so no it's it's real hard to go well this guy does this and you don't because it's real hard to see. Are you looking forward to seeing Marquez on the uh, Ducati? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, I hope that's uh, successful for him anyway. He's a nice kid. I've met him a few times and uh, really enjoy watching him ride. So kind of reminds me of a young Wayne uh, when I when I did that. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting year, hopefully. Cool, cool. Peter, have you got anything else you want to say to Kenny? No, no, just big thanks. <laughs> big, big thanks. <laughs> Kenny, it's, it's been fantastic, Kenny. A real honor for all of us. And um, I hope you and Tomo are well, keeping well. Yeah, I go to Japan in three more days. So Okay, enjoy Japan. It's nice to go to a civilized country once in a while. <laughs> On that note, we'll say thank you, uh, King Kenny All Roberts. Right. You've been a star. And thanks to Peter. Thanks to Sam. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, Kenny. We'll see you around. Hey. Eh? Look after yourself. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.